0: Welcome to Dialogues in Afro-Latinidad, a podcast dedicated to amplifying and elevating Afro-Latin American and Afro-Latinx histories, cultures, and communities. I'm your host, Dr. Michelle Reed-Vasquez. Join us for conversations with experts and artists to learn more about Afro-Latinidad. Venga. I'm excited to welcome today's guest, Dr. Pablo De de he obtained his PhD in Social Anthropology from the University of St. Andrews in Scotland, and currently he is the Afrosonic Cultures Across the Diaspora postdoctoral fellow in the Afrosonic Innovations Lab at the University of Toronto Scarborough. His research explores what it means to be Afro-Cuban in post-socialist Havana today. It argues that such a study may require a focus on recent shifts in the audible character of the city, and how Havana's sonorous dimension can be conceived as a site where citizens contest state ideology. He is the 2018-2019 Nasir Jones Fellowship recipient at the Hip Hop Archive and Research Institute at Harvard University. And his writing has appeared in Revista Casa de las Americas, Metronome's Documenta 12 Magazine's issue, and OKAfrica.com. He has also collaborated on several major academic research projects on rap and reggaeton music in Havana, including Cuba Represent and Close to the Edge by Sunjata Fernandez, Cuban Underground Hip Hop by Tanya Saunders, Negro Soyo by Mark Perry, and Buena Vista in the Club by Jeff Baker. Thank you so much for joining me today, Pablo.
1: Thank you so much, Michelle, for listening directly. The possibility of being with you on the podcast This is amazing. Thank you so much.
0: My pleasure. So you grew up in La Habana and the neighborhood of Santos Mm -hmm. Juarez, and now you're this Afrosonic Cultures fellow in Canada. (laughs) So tell us about your early life, how it shaped your interests, both personal and professional interests in Afro-Cubans and this this sonic adventure that you're on now.
1: Yeah, so so um, so, like I I, I think that the, the best way to start this conversation is to say a bit about my background on hip hop and rap music in Cuba. So I've I've I've, I've come from this neighborhood of Santos Suarez in Havana, which is in the municipality of 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 de which I believe is sort of it's smack on the center of the city. And uh, the geographic center of the city is not, I guess, in particular. But it, I think the main thing that I wanted to say about Santo Suárez is it's a lot of music that I, I could hear growing up, specifically music by a guy named El Mito, who lived across the street from me and um, sort of caddy corners to my house. And um, from his from his balcony, from the, the, the hall, he would open the door and he would just blast uh, African American music, uh recordings that he did from a radio station that he would capture from Miami is called 99 Jams. Mm-hmm. And he will have people like James Ingrams and like, you know, all sorts of stuff, you know, ABC, lots of like, you know, whispers, um uh, Edwin Fire, lots of African American music. Nice. And I think I, I think this is the, the ability of having this issue of li- the possibility of listening to, listening to music. Of his music across the space of the neighborhood, you know, it's like something that's integral to how I see and how I look at the city today, through sounds, and how I observe sort of that the 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 how the the character of the city, the sonic character of the city, has changed over time. Like that's like part of the, the work that I am um, most focused on. Um, but ultimately, this led me to feel that. That there was something that was going on specifically when I started becoming literate uh, in terms of hip hop culture in Nevada. It started to to participate, and not only as a fan of the music and uh, as a fan of African American. Hip hop, but also as a fan of Cuban hip hop itself, in in that drop cubano. One of the things that was happening was also there's a lot of people who were coming to Cuba to discuss what was happening, the advent of that culture within Havana, because of its impossibility within this, you know, you thought thought impossibility within the, the the world or the space of Cuban socialism, and so they had a lot of questions. So people will come. They, they, when I say people will come, I mean like the press or. Mm-hmm. You know, scholars would come to Havana to, you know, to try to understand what was going on, and and, and many in, in many occasions we we and I when I say we, because there's a like a sentiment that we were personally a community speaking about what we were trying to say and mean, about what we were doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, in many of the books that you've mentioned before, uh, in some of the books, you know, in many of the, the 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 not only scholarly works, but also the um, the press uh, 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 you know stuff from like the the Times Magazine or, right. um, or or the Washington Post I think that the main message is this this view on how uh, how much hip hop in Cuba rap music in was basically an oddity mm-hmm. to that you know within the, within the, the claims of Cuban socialism mm-hmm. but they did not understood or did not really manage to showcase what were our Interests in what we were trying to say and what we, which were the questions that we had as as the ones who were doing it. Does that make sense? So I think I think the interest directly comes from trying to add an Afro, basically an Afro Cuban voice into the, the, the body of work that's being done in Cuba uh, in terms of the advent of Cuba, uh, Cuban Cuban hip hop culture to try to say and also to take ownership in, in many ways of have authority to say. This is what really what we're trying to say, but we're not trying to address that. that you know, those those out We're not trying to address those folks. I think this is more a conversation about us and address addressing ourselves directly. And obviously, the issue here, and this is something I was talk, 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 talking to you about before, this idea that this, you know, that maybe quite, uh, you know, sort kind of um, close to this issue of Latin Latin American lives. This issue that we have this hyper visibility because we have all this exposure in documentaries and books and, and music and that, but we then the questions that we have become invisible. So what we actually mean and what we are our problems within this sort of madeha, if you want to call it, of, of interest in what's happening there becomes lost. And we never really get to hear or say exactly our voices, how our voices and what our voices are actually trying to articulate within the, the, the realm. So this is kind of how I see it. And this goes for the works that like you mentioned before. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'll, I'll leave it to that for the first question.
0: Oh, okay. Well, and you've, you've kind of uh, gone into a bit this, the second question about this, your passion for raising the, the visibility and voices of Afro-Cubans, but, it, but have it to be done by Afro-Cubans. Um, and I want Exactly. To, yeah. 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 I want. I just, I, I'm wondering about your the, the project that you're working on in, um, in Canada. Is that, as part of your fellowship, is, is that something that you're addressing within that project?
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, the the project it's it's sort of um, here here in, in 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 Toronto. We'll address part of the work that's going to that's, that's more related to the the ultrasonic uh, 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 aspect of my work, which is like looking directly at this issue of sonic character with, of the city and the audible dimension of Havana and what exactly has been happening there and how could through you know, listening and and through observation of what's happening in Havana, how could we speak about all the locales across the diaspora? Or how do all the locales have, you know, particular ways in which we could understand, you know, what's happening in Havana? For example, there's a recent partnership that that I would like to mention here in terms of this work, and I'm taking the, 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 the chance of talking about it because it's something that's sort of Sort of happening um, slowly now but there's like places uh, There's said partnerships have been between the afro Sonic uh, um, innovations lab and the partnership they're doing with SST which is a, a project led by Julian Enriquez who wrote, wrote the book on sonic bodies in Jamaica and sound system culture there in Kingston mm-hmm. and and I think that one one of the things that I'm trying to understand is how this idea of sound system or sonic Street technologies applies to if someone, if someone, uh, you know, people who are listening to the the podcast, people have been to Havana, they probably have listened or may have actually come across uh, the presence of, you know, a religious drumming in the city. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so what I am saying in terms of this idea of sonic street technologies is that in a sense of the most, of the most, of the many of the, uh, let's say of the variety of, of, of uh, instantiations of, of, Sound system culture in Cuba. You can talk obviously there's like a Rasta community in Havana. People blast their music from from the neighborhoods. I think that the idea of thinking, going back to the idea of drumming, religious drumming in Havana, specifically tambor um, mm-hmm. and and uh, this is a orisha lukumi worship tambor and how tambor sort of works across, uh, works across Havana and it can be heard across Havana. People have playback out of their stereos of, of recordings of this this religious ceremonies. It's, uh, it's a very interesting way to consider and think about um, how the instantiation of the sound system works in Havana or could be understood in Havana. It brings everything back to this primal point of the drum itself, right? Mm-hmm. And um, which is, I think the drum is something that's so integral to life in, in, in the African diaspora. So I think this is something that I'm doing, but ultimately part of the work that I'm doing also here is to think about how um, how to bring Havana in this in this conversation, how to bring Havana and Cuba back to to the Caribbean, which which I think is a really important point because uh, in many of the you know the fields that have actually addressed or you know try to you know conceive Cuba in in Afro Cuban lives. There's usually this approach, for example, from afro latin American studies or Cuban studies, that tend to sort of suspend or take, you know, you know, you know, sort of take out Cuba out of the Caribbean. And what what I would like to do is to really reframe Havana and reframe Afro-Cuban, Afro-Cubans within the, the epistemic sense, the Afro-Caribbean religion. Uh, yeah, one in Afro-Caribbean philosophy. That's right.
0: So. Um, I want to go back to something. So, what do you mean, um, scholars try to take Cuba out of the Caribbean?
1: So, 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 for example, with with the idea of of of, of adding Cuba to Afro-Latin American studies, uh-huh. I believe that it makes it makes sense. But, but in a sense, the the you know what Cuba is in the context of the African diaspora, and this is not really about uh, it's not really about exceptionalism. It's about Specificity, right? Uh-huh. Because it, the idea that because we speak English, or sorry, because we speak Spanish, uh-huh. and because we are mostly Afro descendants, and this is, goes again to the issue, the question that all that, that, you know, that, that this idea that Robert Lee Adam talks about, and also Agustin La Montes talks about this as well. like, how is it that we could continue to talk about you know, we we group we, we put uh, uh, people in the African diaspora in particular lump sums of, of categories. These are Afro Latinos because they speak Spanish and they're like mm-hmm. people of African descent in this in, in 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 the region. But in the case of Cuba, I think that Cuba has more more similarities with Guyana and Grenada and Jamaica because of socialism, mm-hmm. and, and 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 the citizens who live in in Cuba, the Afro Cubans who live in Cuba, do not. I don't think they completely equate to citizens who are uh, uh, obviously Afri- Afro descendants or Afro-Latinos in, in the Pacific coast. We may have gestures that are completely or poetic ways in which we might manifest you know, our lives that may completely gel, but that's something that's obviously across the board across the the, the African diaspora. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I have a lot of tendency to resist the idea of Latinidad because Latinidad is, 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 is one of the terms that takes out or dilutes Blackness, mm. dilutes the Afro, in the Afro-Latino, for me. Mm. Um, and obviously I can go into an example. And likewise, um, in, in Cuban studies, uh, Cuban studies mostly address the issue of non-racial society, that Cuba, you know, they, basically the people who led the studies and have wanted Cuba or have wanted to frame Cuba through mm-hmm. because the Afro and the Black uh, and the, well, Cuba's blackness was always sort of problematic or symptomatic of something that they didn't want to aspire to. So you have perspective then if you if you if you listen to if you look at the you know Ada Ferrez listen recent book mm-hmm. or other other works on on, on on Cuba you see this tendency to exact to basically exact you know, drive or drive Cuba or conversations about Cuba outside of the framework of blackness, because the aspiration of the country. And this is part of what uh, about the, the transculturation workers and and the counterpoint of sugar and tobacco. is like Cuba could be uh, purified and could should not be. It's not Jamaica. It's not Haiti. It should not be considered Jamaica or Haiti. But what happens is that when you look at Afro Cubans and our predicament in Havana today, post socialism. And then you listen to the work of David Scott and what he said, what he said in Refraction Futures about how you know, post-colonial, uh, post-colonial utopias have become, no, so anti-colonial utopias have, have withered into post-colonial nightmares. And you look at what's happening in Cuba after hip hop, it's like, well, how, why, is it that, why is it that I cannot apply that kind of thinking to really understand what's really happening in Cuba? So there's, a, there's, there's several ways and there's several tangents coming up here because in, there's basically an issue of crossing over a whole cultural language language barrier to really understand Chiba. right? Obviously, I, as someone who speaks English, understands a little bit of English, I feel like I'm in a privileged position to do that. By looking at the work of C.L.R. James, who actually has written about Cuba, mm-hmm. by looking at the work of Sylvia Winter, by looking at the work of Padre Henry David Scott, to see how is it that the people in the neighborhood, what I call the neighborhood, people, you yeah. know, nations who are around around Cuba, say what's happening or has been what has been happening. How is it that we we can continue to not listen to what our neighbors are saying, mm-hmm. specifically about, about Black lives in in that in, in that region? Yeah. And we okay. we can continue to be committed to you know going over the water into oh we're no we're we're, we're Latino I I know Latino is also applied to Puerto Ricans and Dominicans as well but I think it's mostly a framework that comes out of the U.S. academy mm-hmm. that fails to see or understand how is it that within Cuba what we need is to understand Cuba through the Caribbean because this is where we're going and this is the, the this is basically the the space in which, you know, w- within which you know life as for Afro-Cubans will be will be you know, mostly dictated uh, and, you know, from the in the years to come, especially after after post-socialism, w- within post-socialism.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I have to say, I really, really appreciate you centering the Caribbean and also centering the that framework of the neighbors of, of Jamaica and and other places in that region that are in prox- close proximity to Cuba. Uh, I think that's something that often gets uh, forgotten uh, as we think about kind of separating, mm. linguistically separating, um, colonially separating these different spaces. But but it, yeah, the, I mean, mm. I'm a, a Caribbeanist, mm. so mm. I'm all about like, you can't, like they're all right there. It's not like they're in these different far off distant spaces there, you know, people were getting there very quickly. Um, it's a very kind of uh, a space of lots of tr- of uh, uh, mobility, for sure. Uh, but I want to talk yeah, to you- Yeah, exactly. So-
1: Go, go ahead go ahead yes sir. so just to say but exactly so it's how so as soon as we do that and we recalibrate this idea of afro cuban lives then we have to if we start factoring in we have to start factoring in the migrations the into cuba of jamaican laborers mm-hmm. of you know Haitian you know migrations of people who come and had you know lives in cuba and you can go to come away and have people like groups like this and that and you know, lots of different people who actually migrated to Cuba not only after the, the French, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, or the Haitian Revolution, mm-hmm. uh, or the French exodus from Haiti uh, through the, the the Haitian Revolution, but also people who, after you know, in 1940s, forties, nineteen thirties, integrated the populations of, of Afro-Cubans in 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 the eastern regions from Cuba. Mm-hmm. So how how do we factor in? This conversation, because like, there's a major wake that's happening in the nation, it has to do with the presence of those those people in in, in the islands. And they said, we continue to say, well, we, we are this country that's non-racial. It's aspiring. You said socialism produces completely non-racial society where racism has been completely eradicated. And then we go into an economic crisis that, as you know, started in the 1990s. Mm-hmm. We go back to the places like you write in your book, even though I'm, I apologize, I have not read the year of the slash of the lash, totally to really frame it through your work. But at the same time, I know that we're going directly back to what Aponte was doing, to the same fights that he was talking about. So this, this is, and this is why I feel hip hop is so important because hip hop is actually bringing us completely back to having this historical balance. So, like, oh, so this is this is where this whole thing comes from, you so,
0: know, so which is so- like. You know, no, I was going to say, well, in that, you know, if you get I was, I'm glad you're bringing it back to hip hop because that's what I want to ask you about. So in thinking about hip hop in, in this kind of transnational framework, what do you, how does it help us understand the issues that you're talking about, about Afro-Cubans and the Caribbean and, you know, this, these particular spaces that are so connected, but that uh, political frameworks um, try to dissolve issues of race. How, how, how does hip hop help us understand and engage that?
1: I think I think it goes back to this issue of becoming Afro-Asiatic citizens, right? That this mm-hmm. this is the literacy that that has uh, has excised us from, or has allowed us to has allow has allowed us a safe. Uh, and I wouldn't say a safe because obviously what we encounter is coloniality, that is is, a, is a, in, in 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 sort of in in um I wouldn't in um, in, okay so let me say this so in encountering the failure of the of the cuban you know project of new men subjectivity new men new women subjectivity like the almost jovieticus in, in encountering the failure of that after the crisis of the special period leaving and, and and leaving out of that and finding ways to to you know cling on to something to to understand and and, and also future to be able to um to 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 cope with the anxiety of what's to come, mm-hmm. hip hop has been the, that one particular you know protocol. has allowed us to say, "Oh, this is happening not only to me; this is happening across the board." So I can read and learn from these other different people. So other people. So what exactly are they saying? What is what exactly is the problem here? Right. And when we when we when we do that, what hip hop does? Hip hop literacy does it. It gives us uh, the tools. To not only understand the present and and have a way of you know realizing to entrepreneurship and you know and activism or scholarship or you know artistic practices or performative practices the future, but also it gives us the tools to understand our history. And this is this is the main I think this is a, the the biggest caliber the the biggest sort of uh, uh, weight the hip hop gifts of uh, this Afroside Afro Latinx citizens in Cuba for me is the issue of understanding that. That we, you know, out of a, out of a particular historiographic historiographic demand into so something that David that David Scott talk, talks about. How do we how do we learn that we should be in control of how our history and what we mean is set and, and it's in this part is put out there, right? Mm-hmm. So this is this is discussed this in this sort of transnational ways and goes again back to the issue of visibility. Our voices become important because it's something that has to do with what have we have been saying throughout the history of, of the nature in which we are uh, part of. Does that make sense?
0: Yes. Yeah. That there are certain refrains that are just have been ongoing and that hip-hop is a way to help amplify what those issues have been and yeah, continue so, to be.
1: Yeah. So, so for example, just 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 case in point, in yeah. 2001, I, I was part of the group that brought people who brought for example, a group like Dead Press to mm-hmm. Havana to perform at the at the Havana International Hip Hop Festival. Mm-hmm. And something that happened with Dead Press, something that's sort of normal. Dead Press had a slideshow on their show. It was around the album, uh, I think it's a uh, forget. Um, I forget the name of it. Get free or something. I forget, I forget. I forget the the name of the album now. And it's like the one that had the the song hip hop. It's not. It's it's, it's bigger than hip hop, right? Okay. But the the in the slideshow because what happened is like this. This what was happening is with the visit of rappers from the United States of America. It's like they had the possibility of of becoming aware and being in tune directly with people who were within the the underground hip hop scene in, in 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 the United States okay. and learn from them directly. So. What they're looking at the, at the slideshow is, 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 let's just say it simply, it's like the Blacks that are behind the work of, or the Black lives or the Afro-African-Americans are behind the work of their press. Mm-hmm. So, what, what, so what happens here is that what the, the, the question that that presentation on the slides the show, in my understanding, posits for people, is like, where are my Blacks? So as soon as people make, just sort of draw that equations, like where are my Blacks? And they start looking back, you start going back encountering people like Timandera you start encountering people like you know and you start oh 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 and this so is like you start really realizing and so this is this is the work of history making and history histori- a historiographical will right that comes out of of out of through the, the through participating in and becoming literate in hip hop culture at least for me and this is how I see it.
0: So you, you've touched on um, this the histories, uh, the repetition, the looking for um, uh, Afro-Cuban uh, figures, but I'm wondering, kind of bringing it to the present, what do you think are some of the most urgent issues uh, for Afro-Cubans, uh, uh, Afro-Cuban communities, Afro-Latin American communities, uh, broader Caribbean communities, as they relate to you and to your work?
1: Right, so so this is, this is a really interesting question because I feel like, one of the, for example, me personally, I feel like my work is so Cuba centered mm-hmm. that I fail, I, I have to recognize that I think I fail to see it past the borders of Cuba. Mm-hmm. I see things that are happening in, in Dominica, but I wouldn't I wouldn't be able to really completely gel it into a statement that says this is, you know, this is characteristic of something that happens across. I think that the issue of coloniality and how to work or circumvent or you know, work through coloniality and still be is something that's, that's really important. But for within my work, the issue of history and the issue of revising history through hip-hop archives, archive studies, and through creating or voicing uh, afro within the, within the work that we do is something really important so what I mean by this is uh, for example in my in my work directly what i'm trying to do is reframe you know in this issue of africana in this issue of Africaiban religion or oh, sorry Africaib religion and African philosophy I'm reframing my commentary and my com- my my, opera- my opera- operationalization of the of the things i've discussed through Odùifa or uh, oracular figures. Does that make sense?
0: Yes. Can you, but can you elaborate a little bit more?
1: So for example, for example, I, so that, that I in chapter two of my thesis is called uh, uh it's called uh, uh <laughs> chapter two of my thesis I talk about um um I have like Mark Campbell on the other side and he's doing some um I'm I'm really happy he's the person who actually got me to come here work here at um, mm-hmm. And um I'm UFT, so I really appreciate Marcus right here. You, you don't see him, but he's like with the camera. I don't know why he's doing.
0: Okay,
1: it. <laughs> I'm giving your a tour. How are you doing? She I mean, doesn't see me properly, but it's okay. Oh no! Well, oh, because I turned the thing around. I'm so lame. Sorry about that. <laughs> hey, Sophia. Yeah, yeah. So, so basically, um, so so for example, one of the things that that that, that chapter two talks about. It's about, um, and this is part of something that I use throughout all the chapters in the thesis. Is so how to think with a, a, a concilio that was which is the priests' council. Uh, how to think or conceptualize ideas of how do we hear in the virtue of hearing, oh, or okay. for example, the issue or or the or, or the or the, the, the problem that we have as Africans that our advice to Cuban society has encountered an issue of non- listening historical non listening mm. so for example I've come uh, I've come to understand or discuss ideas with this this uh, these people who are if I please initiates uh, if I divination niches to say for example which 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 or if I which oracular figure speaks about their the of listening and which one which one uh, places a case of the, the, the problem of not listening, right which actually ultimately is about good character. but the idea here is that for example, an Odu like Kokana Sode, describes and a person here and the person that we're describing here in my in this case of work defies, it's like a it's a, it's a it's a fabulation of what the nation will do historically right so this in this formulation obviously this is a Hartman's sort of a, a critical fabulation idea but again like if we are discussing the, what the nation has done so far or ideology or the state so far this issue of a kind of soda is applicable to what's happened to African human lives or if we conceive the idea of the virtue of listening we can think about aio as this, as the odu oracular or in which for the first time, the human head was produced or created. And with the human head, all these five senses, including the, the sense of hearing, right? Mm-hmm. So then, for example, and that's, that's one. And then I, I discussed the idea of an ethics of, of an Afro-Cuban ethics of, of, of collaboration, where the council, the that that was, becomes a framework or model to understand and. Other ways in which in which I produce a, a, a conceptualization or frame or conceptual frameworks that are, that suspend non-African ways of doing that. And when when, it, when in in the, in the following chapter I discuss this issue of uh, hip hop archives, for example, and I speak to another Babalao again to 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 sort of think about what exactly would be the way to consider this idea of archiving particular optics. so we come up with another, another do like Osaku Leya, which discusses the issue of libraries. I think the main issue here, and then this is where it becomes sort of problematic, is it's, there's a major issue of gender that's attached to this issue, because obviously these are male propositions or, man, or, or black men proposition of how to conceptualize something through an African framework or lens. Mm-hmm. but I think that this is something that obviously is always a proposition it's a provocation to, to 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 inside ways in which our community can think about um, ourselves and and, and, and and frame what we do
0: absolutely well I, I, I we're running we're getting glow on our time and so I, I want to ask um, I, as I do uh, at the end of every episode is, in addition to the work that you've been doing what other kinds of resources specific resources would you recommend to people who want to learn more about um afro-cuban um, yeah so, so a, yeah.
1: yeah so in addition to the books that i said i can repeat them again we have we have tanya saunders the cuban hip-hop the cuban underground hip-hop movement mm-hmm. we have mac i can say the years if you want or i can uh, no, just give fine. you
0: We'll put all
1: of the information up on our on our episode resource page. So yeah, please. there's also Mark, yeah, Mark, Mark D. Perry's Negro Soy Joe, mm-hmm. which he talks about uh, race Citizen. It's like uh, really interesting. So let me just go back and see, do it the right way. So I would okay. I would even though even though I don't I wouldn't I think that um the, the Afro-Cuban framing that I'm doing and the 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 discussion of what it is to be Afro-Cuban today or in afro and, and and how it, it, it could be articulated or is articulated in Havana. Um, that conversation supersedes the idea of Marxism or, you know, I think that Cedric Robinson's Black Marxism will be important in this case too, as something that could set the tone to understand what we're talking about specifically because he has influenced people like Frank who did this work in Forging Diaspora. Mm -hmm. I think it's really important. So, um, and obviously, Forging Diaspora, uh, what it is, it sets a historical note on people-to-people relations between Afro-Cubans and African-Americans before 1959. It appears as a a nuanced way to explain how the work of Black August, for example, Black August Collective, Mm -hmm. and afro cuban hip-hop culture uh, experience rekindled that connection from 1997 to 2002. And you have uh, Tanya Saunders, the Cuban Hip Hop Underground Movement, which describes how Cuban hip hop reconnected Cuba, and this is the transnational aspect of this sort of literacy connection with, you know, in becoming Afro diasporic citizens, and it can reconnect the Cuba to the larger hemispheric struggle against coloniality. Mark Perry's Neighbor Soy Joe challenges us to think to rethink Cuban society. Uh, and Cubist, in Cubist blacks, uh, race citizenship, which is the term that he uses, mm-hmm. within the nation's present day post-socialism, and, and you know, amb- ambivalent, and what I, and what he just des- describes as this ambivalent, ambivalent relationship with neoliberalism, mm-hmm. uh, the Cuba has, and then a major book that I think is so important is Devin Benson's Anti-Racism in Cuba, yes, mm-hmm. which is it's, it's like that's that's a major, major, major book, um and it's become such an important, specifically because she talks particularly about, about figures like Juan Reneve Tancur, who were so important, even though he's considered an anti communist. But I think the issue of his discussion of blackness in Cuba and Afro Cubans is really, really uh, important today. We have Mark Hughes Sawyer's Race Politics and Post Revolutionary Cuba. It's a shame that we, we lost Mark. Uh, a few yeah. years ago. Mm-hmm. And, we, you, know, we, you know, he describes the interesting intricacies and entanglements of race politics in, in Cuba historically and how the Cuban Revolution failed to center race as part of the measures to deepen social change in Cuba after 1959. And you have also Daniel Cleveland's by the power of race in Cuba, which complements, the, you know, you know the, all these works that I've been talking about. And also adds substantial statistics on race above ground black organizations and black consciousness through the current economic crisis. And I, and I talk about this, I think it's really important to talk about Daniel Cleveland here, because these above ground uh, black organizations talk about, and it's a complete total reference to this idea that a lot of the conversations that happened uh, with Afro-Cubans in the diaspora have happened through a through, uh, uh, so, uh, sort of, uh, you know, via, Channels that are mostly uppercase channels and institutional channels. Mm-hmm. And what's failed, and as you said before, in this sort of this disjunction co- this, 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 this that coloniality produces in the different linguistic sort of uh, spaces, is that we're not connected people to people, right? Mm-hmm. So I think it's really important that we, we, we go back to reconnecting ourselves to these people to people channels that we, we should have. Uh, Odette Casamayor Cisneros' analysis of, of race during Obama's visit to Cuba. Could be a very refreshing, very important um, thing. Uh, article to, to look, and she you know, she was one of the most vocal critics of the um, of, of of this visit, and I think that what she talked about was really really important. Um, and then obviously, again, we can go back to other works. Like, I think something really important is the work of Roberto Surbano Torres, mm-hmm. and um, people are like. I would say Sandra Alvarez Ramirez, I think that her work will be important. And obviously your book, historically, your book, you know, situates, uh, like I said, I'm really, really sorry that I have not, it's bluffing me that I have not been had taken the moment to go into your book.
0: No no worries. Uh, There's there's, there's another one coming.
1: Don't worry. It's there. So I'm going to be late. So I'm going to be completely late already.
0: I'm going to have to catch up. But yes,
1: so that. That's that's I think I think it's I think the proposition that I do and it, when you talked about you know also talking to people about music, um, I have a website Sound SoundClouds. If you look for me, Pablo Arenavetea on SoundCloud, you'll find that I have, uh, I think I have three albums of Cuban hip hop compilations that I've i produced myself. So you, there's a lot of the I think that one of the commentaries that I that I discussed in this idea of what we should do and where. And voicing our reality, uh, it's not to disregard academic work. It's just that we should also pay close, very, very close attention to what people are saying themselves. So listening yes. to the music uh, of raperas, if you can, if you can do it in Spanish, mm-hmm. and to hear what what the claims are, what the you know the arguments are, uh, you will you'll, you'll get a lot more um, a lot more perspective directly from people who actually are in the streets. And discussing it rather than, uh, you know, I mean, in many ways, I can I, I have to admit that a lot of the work that we do is in many ways, you know, it's a clinical, it's, you know, in a way sort of being sort of cleansed and it doesn't have the role of the street. So I, I recommend as, you know, a sort of an ethnographic exercise to go to those lyrics and read them and to, you know, listen to the music of the people because that's, that's where it all is.
0: Absolutely. yes absolutely absolutely well we are out of time so i want to just thank you so much for sharing your journey and your knowledge and your perspective with us today um, thank you so much it's been a pleasure
1: definitely michelle it's been more than a pleasure to me too um i really appreciate that you've invited me to this and i hope that i've done i've, I've done the best i could to help you and and be part of this okay so thank you so much for this
0: Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of Dialogues on Afro Latinidad, please subscribe to our podcast and tell a friend. For links to the resources mentioned in the interview, visit our website at michellereadvasquez.com forward slash podcast.